Welcome to Lillipod episode 29, a mid-singles guide to pairing up. Jeff and Kathy Teichert bringing you another episode of Lillipod, which is a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. A mid-singles guide to pairing up is our third and final part of our book, Intentional Courtship, and it mirrors its subtitle, which is A Mid-Singles Guide to Peace, Progress, and Pairing Up. Right. And right now, we're just going to give you kind of an overview of the third part of the book. We may choose to come back at some point and, and tackle each of the subjects in more detail, but tonight we'll give you a basic overview of it and... Uh, this is really, in some ways, the more meaningful part of the book because we're talking about uh, not just dating and meeting new people, but when it starts to get serious, when you start to think about choosing someone. Right. Well, I, I think it's an extension of, of finding peace and laying a foundation for your dating experiences from a peaceful place. Right. Right. This is moving into now that your mind is clear and you've let go of and forgiven the past, uh, you have this ability to move into higher level thinking about what you want, what you're looking for, what you hope your future to be, and start creating it. Right. Chapter 15 of the book is called Relationship Development and Progress. And I like that chapter because we talk about kind of what, what the steps are in progressing your relationship. Right, because in section two, progressing is more progressing from establishing peace in your life and moving into the dating world. But progress in a relationship, once you've been dating, is different. Right. And this, you know, this involves doing things like creating trust Trust is a, kind of a hard thing for some of us that have been through painful experiences. So, so how do you begin to give trust to someone instead of just sort of putting them in the shoes of someone who was abusive to you in the past or something? Right. Um, or even maybe having them play a role of one of your parents or someone else you knew growing up that you were traumatized by. It's uh, being able to move past all of that history and start new and fresh, which is, I think, one of the greatest challenges of being a mid-single after you've had some hurt in past relationships. Very much so. I think one thing we can do to help us uh, is to think of trust as a policy as much as we think of it as an emotion. We may trust someone just because we choose to. And I, I did a recent uh, essay on that, and somebody commented that she had found her, her former husband's phone and he had recently confessed 
that he had been communicating with another woman and it was very painful for her, obviously, as it would be for any of us to have our spouse um, being really cozy with, with an opposite sex friend. And she found his phone and she was going to look at it while he was in the shower. She picked it up and she just thought, you know, trying to check up on him and do all this stuff is going to drive me crazy. I'm going to choose to trust him and trust that if he's unfaithful, it'll all come out in the wash, that it'll be found out eventually. And it was. <laughs> in her case, um, you know, she didn't have to become a detective to, to find out that her husband wasn't faithful. And But if we want to give our, our marriages and our relationships a chance, Sometimes you got to take a step or two into the darkness and wait for the light to follow. Um, and, and that will light will either lead to, oh, I really can trust him or hmm, right. uh, nope, I couldn't. Right. And either way, you're going to live a much more peaceful life when you don't make it your job to have it turn out a certain way. Right. Which is a classic codependency thing. Uh, for anyone who hasn't heard of codependence, it's, when you rely on your partner for your emotional well-being, and uh, it often goes with addicts. So right. uh, sometimes a person can be developing codependency patterns with an addict they didn't even know was an addict. Right. Uh, it's it's kind of this unhealthy dynamic that happens sometimes independent of your own awareness for a while. Right. I think it's good to date someone long enough that your awareness is, you know, that you're not so starstruck by a new person that, that your awareness is sort of blinded at that time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know. I, I heard in another presentation, four seasons and a road trip. I think that's a good rule of thumb. I don't, you know, I'm not going to say that. We're not big on rules. Yeah. That everybody should do it in an exact certain way. But one thing though, that I think is universally true and, and it's helpful to think of it like this, is for a relationship to either start or progress, you have to have one person who takes a risk and the other person who says yes. And that sounds very simple, but oftentimes we forget it. Um, we believe that if we're in a relationship, we're owed certain things or they have a duty to treat us in a certain way. I mean, if they don't treat us in a way that's kind, that may be a reason to stop dating. But ultimately, nobody owes you anything. Nobody owes you a chance. Nobody owes you a first date. Um, the fact that you may do your home teaching every month, or I guess now we call it ministering, but you may do your ministering every month. You may be the elders quorum president. You may serve in, in high callings in the church. And that certainly will bring and that's blessings. Great. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the other person has to choose what I choose for it to, to go anywhere. And if you beat your head against the wall, uh, trying to get someone to choose you who is not choosing you, you're going to hate dating. You're going to be frustrated. 
But if you can wait until the relationship develops and progresses with two people choosing in, that's when it gets really exciting. Right. I mean, and, and we have experience with this even in our own relationship. Our first year, I wasn't necessarily in a hurry to get married. I had things I needed to take care of first, like get my business going, uh, you know, clean up some financial issues, things like that, that I, I felt like were in the way of me being able to really be equally yoked in a partnership. And I think I had to get past mm. some fears that I had of commitment. Even though I'd been a very committed person most of my adult life, I was very leery to do that again until I knew and felt very, very good about a situation. And I hadn't felt that yet. And I, uh, I guess you're well, going to... I was going to say that for me, I, I don't want to be misleading either. I, I did want a relationship with Kathy that first year. It was uh, something I, you know, I was very straightforward about. And she didn't. Uh, I didn't want a relationship with anybody that it couldn't go pretty quickly to marriage. Or that it... <laughs> and we both weren't ready. I mean, we you did ready. have relationships with people you thought there, there was no chance of <laughs> developing anything serious. Well, yeah, because that wasn't as scary. <laughs> and mm -hmm. this is the thing, this is the importance of this section, really, is that when you start, when things start getting serious, sometimes we run. Right. And, and in that first year... I will say, you know, I, I wasn't in a hurry to, to marry, but I did want to have a relationship and I just thought we could go slowly. And, you know, when I was in a better position, maybe we would be in a better position together to consider marriage, which we were, but it didn't unfold in the way that I might have envisioned yeah. in my mind. I don't think as a couple, we go slowly. We so, don't usually. So I think that year of friendship, which, I mean, really helped me feel more secure in our relationship, uh, helped because then we both did things that got us more ready and we were able to move quickly into marriage at that point because we knew each other really well. Right. Let me also make a point about this because I think this story illustrates something that I feel somewhat strongly about. Our pace in the relationship that first year was different. I wanted a relationship, albeit I, I wanted to go slow because I wasn't in a position to get married yet. But I thought, oh, we can just date over a year period of time and, you know, or, or so. And maybe I'll be in a better position to get married by then, which I was. But, but uh, still, um, Kathy wasn't in the same, her pace was not the same as mine. She wanted to date lots of people and not limit herself to one until she really thought it might be heading for marriage. Right. And here, here's the point I want to make out of that. Okay, my pace and my system was one way. Her pace and her system were another way. And yet we're married and we love each other and it's worked out. Uh, so... My point really is that the pace you go or your style of dating or the way you go about this is not necessarily uh, indicative of your long-term potential for happiness together. And so I try to make pacing and timing and issues that aren't relevant in the long term to whether you could have a good relationship. I try to make those matter as little as possible. 
now I know they matter, you know, I mean, you had a high school sweetheart and you started getting serious with someone and then later they got divorced and the timing is bad because you're already with somebody else. I get that. But I'm just saying in, in whatever decisions I could make dating that where the thing in the way was timing or pace or the style, you know, the way I approached dating to, to whatever extent that was in the way I tried to eliminate it as much as possible because it doesn't really matter in the end. Right. And it turned out that it was very helpful for us to respect each other in that we knew we wanted something different at that time and it wasn't working for you to go slow and it wasn't working for me to go fast. So uh, we ended up transitioning to friendship, which we kept pretty minimal at first. And then we, we grew into a friendship that was pretty, pretty, pretty active. solid and yep. great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it sort of built on the same things that our earlier dating relationship had built on. And, and so that history was, was helpful to create the connection that we wanted. Right. Cause I, I don't know if other people feel this way, but I had a hard time with people who would be interested romantically, but then be really mean and cold if it didn't work out the way they wanted. It didn't seem sincere to me. Right. I wanted a friend. I, I, of course I want more than that, but that friendship is a really important foundation. And I, I felt that it was very helpful when a transition in a relationship would happen and we were able to make a friendship of it. Right. And, and I think that's, you know, this business of dating and how you do it, um, it can be a little bit tricky navigating that. I think communication with your dating partners is important. Now, you may have someone tell you, I don't get serious until I've, and I don't go exclusive until I've been seeing someone for at least six months, an average of once a week. And you may look at that and say, well, I don't want to wait that long. You may look at that and say, that's lightning fast for me. Um, one thing I want to point out is, although I try to minimize those preferences, because like I said, I don't think they have any permanent value, but you know, let's say somebody says, nope, I'm going to date someone at least two years before we get married and you don't want to wait two years. You don't have to keep dating them. You can tell them, I respect your decision to approach dating in that way, but that's too much for me. Right. And this is where being open can really help people make good decisions for themselves based on where you are. Right. If you know, <laughs> there's some things I didn't know about myself until I noticed certain patterns in my dating that, you know, I was like, I got some fear to get over. And this is where, although we break down the book for, for structure and, and general flow, these these all three sections about peace and, and progressing and dating and then pairing up and getting serious, they, they, they ebb and flow. I mean, right. we might find 
as we date some things we still need to clean up in in our history you know in our emotions and get get some healing and it's okay to start dating you know before maybe you're there completely it's it's not uh we definitely think peace is a foundation right and a general framework of peace is important but you know we if we have trauma we might get triggered and it might come back again and we just clean it up a little bit more you know that's how life is it's right. a little messier than a, a a book you know but well uh, and our love story is chapter 20 in this book and and you will see when you get it and read it we didn't always do it exactly by the book we didn't always do it right we we were human and we made mistakes and sometimes hurt people or got hurt you know and in, in the whole endeavor well and it's it's interesting because we wrote this book in 2020 mm-hmm. and hindsight is 2020 and we've got 20 chapters and the 20th chapter is basically about how we can look back and see what's transpired what we could have done better what we did well and and be able to to advise based on that because we're human right uh a lot of people have said it's their favorite chapter and it's at the end like dessert right <laughs> um and i think the the favorite part is is a, is a lot because it's so human and it right. it, it really paints a picture of the the, the dating isn't always clean and clear. It's messy, right. <laughs> like life. Um, but let's get into to chapter 16, which is actually about your children's role in your dating life. That's something we go into because that's a complexity that mid-singles deal with. Well, let me say one more thing about relationship progress before we do that. But okay. yes, I do want to move into that soon. I There's one other thing that I think is really important to say about this. Um, I think that, you know, you may be in a situation where you take a risk and you want to move the relationship to another level and you are on a date with a partner and maybe you say, I love you. And hopefully the other person can say it back, but if they can't, if they're not ready that doesn't necessarily mean your relationship is doomed. And if you're the one, you know, the other person says, I love you, and you're not quite ready to say that yet. I think it's perfectly acceptable. And and I would encourage you to say, oh, that's so sweet. And I really like you too. I don't know that I'm quite there yet in terms of saying I love you, but, but I do like you and I want to keep getting to know you. I think that's such a great response. Yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes I do the, <laughs> I do the Star Wars thing and say thank you. <laughs> right. I don't. I don't Is like. Is that what he said? No, he said I know. Mm. I do that too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and you know, to some people, saying I love you uh, is a little more casual, and for other people, it really is very serious. And if you say I love you, you're bordering on marriage. That's why communication in dating relationships is important. And some of that has to do with family or origin. I mean, if your family said it a lot and it was no big deal, I mean, I have women I hardly know say, I love you. 
I've heard it, you know, and right. I'm like, they must come from families who are very expressing of, of love, the love word, you know, and uh, so, yeah, your comfort with it might depend on where you're from. Right. And I would apply the same principle to anything else you might do in advancing a relationship if you're interested, <clears throat> but you aren't ready to move forward with whatever the commitment is, saying, I love you agreeing to see each other more often, whatever being it exclusive. is, being exclusive. It's important to, to be positive. If you, if you feel positively, but just aren't quite there yet, um, you know, to, to say, I really like you. I, I want to see where this goes, but I'm not ready to go that fast. Uh, you know, is it okay if we, if we hold back a little yeah. bit? I definitely like your advice here because, you know, a simple thank you, or I know, to an I love you, or maybe ignoring it. I think sometimes people do that, like, oh, maybe she didn't hear me, I can take it back, you know, kind of thing. Right. Um, it's not as open or right. as clear. And so I think it's it's perfectly appropriate to say where you are and to appreciate right. the gesture they made. Right. And, and I think you can say, I, I think you can say that without dooming the relationship. You know, you can say, oh, I appreciate you taking that risk. And I may get there. I'm just not quite there yet. Right. All right. So speaking of your children's role in dating, uh, Kathy and I both had children when we were, when we began dating. Mine are older and they're both grown now. Um, I also had... Mine are younger and... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I also dated, you know, while my kids were in high school and so on. Um, so... It was over a, a period of time, but you know, my kids were in grade school and we both came at it from more of a, let's let this be casual and not so serious. Let's not introduce her one them once I'm like engaged. <laughs> Cause that just puts so much pressure. Uh, and for, for my kids, they just saw the guys I dated as friends. They were, my, they're my friend, they're his, they're friends. And it wasn't serious. Sometimes they might miss someone that kind of disappeared, but it wasn't a big deal. There were, I think, two schools of thought on that, at least when I was dating. Yeah. And I think this is still and, true. And that we don't necessarily recommend that for everyone. That's just how we did it. Right. I mean, I think one school of thought is the one Kathy was just expressing that um, introduce the kids early on so that their attachment to the person progresses with yours. And it's not such a shock when they're introduced as someone you're already serious with. <clears throat> the other school of thought is it's too confusing for kids to have people coming in and out of their lives. And so you should wait till you're serious to introduce someone. I don't think that there is one right answer. I will say that my children were both teenagers when I became single again. And when I decided to start dating, I, I told them uh, that I was going to start dating. And I said, I hope you'll like whoever I choose uh, to date as well as who I choose to marry. And I said, um, I also said, I will make the choice. You don't get a vote, but you're welcome to express your opinions and, uh, and ideas and I will listen to them. And thankfully, my boys were, were so great. Um, and so supportive 
uh, with of the women I dated. I mean, almost without exception, they were. Uh, so I appreciated that a lot. But then the other the other thing is I asked them for their preference in terms of would you like to be introduced earlier on? And I gave, you know, spelled out the two schools of thought as I just have on this broadcast. And, and I, I said, you know, would you rather be involved early on and know the people I'm dating kind of almost from the beginning, or would you rather wait until things are very serious to be introduced? And, and they both said they wanted to be involved early on. And I felt like they were, you know, they were mature enough as teenagers to know their own minds on that, as well as um, to understand the question I was asking them. I wonder what most kids would say. I, you know, I just, that's a curiosity. My guess is most teenagers would say what my kids said. They, they both said they wanted to be introduced early on, but I don't know that. Uh, like they it, don't want to be kept in the dark, basically. Right. Certainly if you have teenagers, uh, you want to weigh that, you know, can I talk to them about this and get some guidance on how they would like to be involved? And then, you know, Kathy has said that she didn't have that conversation with her kids exactly because they were younger, uh, but she did include people as mom's friends early on without you know, a lot of, um, well, because we were just a family of three, which was great. They liked having friends. Um, that's, that was their preference. So I do, I think they, I I've asked if they would have preferred it different and they like how I did it. But if you had a kid, you know, if you have a child that gets easily attached and really, you know, gets attached to someone right off the bat, that's something you want to weigh, you know, mm -hmm. do I want to give that kid if they get attached easily, maybe it's okay to let them wait for you to catch up before you introduce the new person because chances are good they're going to right. become invested really quickly. And So it does depend on your situation and your values and the um, personalities of your children. and For sure. It's just something to think about. Right. Um, our next chapter is on the role of physical affection in mid-single dating. Okay. Well, let me say one more thing about the role of children. <laughs> I, I keep moving on before you're ready. <laughs> Very quickly. Um, I had great experiences with my kids when I was single and I dated a lot too. Uh, but I felt like the first time their mom refused to go on a family vacation with us, uh, before we were divorced, um, yeah, I almost canceled. I almost thought if the mom isn't going, how is this a family vacation? But the, the persuasive idea that came into my head was these kids need to know they're still part of a family. And so I, and I, I was having financial troubles at that time. I didn't have a lot of money to throw at expensive trips. But I mean, we took road trips to national parks and uh, all kinds of things, had lots of fun together. Some of my most cherished memories are those cheap trips where, you know, we ate one meal a day at a restaurant and the rest of snacking out of the grocery store and stuff. And I also included my children in family dates where I was dating someone who had kids and 
you know, we get together for a cookout in her backyard. Yeah, we did that too. And it was so fun. And it was a sense in which I could say, we're still a family and this is kind of what it might be like if we were a family. Well, but you are a family and you went on those trips by yourself. Well, I mean, if too. we were a family with the other people, oh, sure. the girl and the and her kids. I just wanted to point out, though, that you also made you, the three of you a family. And I Absolutely. did, too. And, um, and, and in terms of the children's role in your dating life, I think both are important. You know, include them whenever you can in the dating part when you feel comfortable. And right. then make sure that you are a family unit because you are. Yeah, and I wouldn't make all of your dates family dates. I think it is important if you have kids to have a fair amount of that before you get married so that everybody knows everybody pretty well. But you also need couple time if you're getting serious with someone, you know. And you need from... kid time with just you so that they exactly. know that you're still there. So you need three legs of the stool, couple time, kid time, and uh, and family, joint family time. So Right. All right. Ready? Yep. Okay. The role of physical affection in mid-single dating. So that's a, that's a big topic. We actually just had Jennifer Finlayson Fife on our, on our podcast. I think it was episode 24 and she was so great talking to the mid-singles about um, how they can navigate this very uh, big topic in, in their life. Yeah, I mean, the biggest point I want to make on this is listen to episode 24 because yeah. uh, Jennifer does such a great job. And and she talks about it in a way that, you know, I think she agrees with us that there's too much fear and shame surrounding physical affection and our sexuality. And by our sexuality, I'm not talking about going out and having sex before marriage. I'll just be really clear on that. But just um, the fact that we are sexual beings, we were created by right. God that way. And it's something we can't just push down. Uh, it's, right. it's not good to act out. It's not good to suppress. You know, it, it's something that it is part of who we are. And a lot of what she said is in this chapter. And what I mean by that is that a lot of the things she said, which she's so eloquent about doing, uh, are concepts that we believe in and have written about. We've quoted her and, of course, cited her her work. And also we've we've quoted and cited Laura Brotherson, who wrote our foreword. Right. And you might wonder why we devote a whole chapter to physical affection in a book for mid-singles that are committed to celibacy. And we're all adults here, and so I'm you know, I want to be very honest about this because we believe in keeping the law of chastity and all of that. But we also understand that we are sexual beings and that the physical relationship is an important and even essential part of the relationship. And if you're not getting along in that department, uh, you're going to have problems in your marriage, uh, guaranteed. So what... You know, what are the big things that are kind of in the way of that? I I think fear, you know, it's too hot to handle. It's Satan's pathway, as one Jennifer always quotes, that people think, well, sex is something kind of dangerous. It'll get you into trouble. And there's people who go into marriage and they are afraid of sex even with their partner because 
they're worried that it's going to get them into trouble or Heavenly Father might be disappointed in their behavior, yeah. something like and that. And again, listen to the podcasts because I can think of the, the way she was phrasing that. It was so, so great. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we'll let you read the book. We'll let you listen to that podcast. Uh, but that's an important part of dating is exploring your physical compatibility in a way that you feel good about, that uh, honors your agency and your uh, your maturity. Right. And the relationship that you're in with that person. One thing we asked Jennifer on the podcast is, where's the line? And I had heard her answer that before I knew what she was going to say. But... But everybody wants to ask that question. Right. And what she basically says is there, you create that line for yourself because right. that's mm. part of being mature. She basically said, don't look to a parent figure to give you permission. You decide in your own integrity and in based on the principles that you live by what you're going to do, what lines you're going to draw. And and then live with integrity to that. And she even said to base it on the relationship right. and how committed you are to each other and things like that. Uh, right. Or at least that was my understanding of what she was saying. And uh, I found that to be true, that uh, in my own integrity, it was based very much on the quality of the relationship and how much commitment there was. And, and making sure that, uh, you know, we're honoring all people involved in, and, and, and keep it staying close to God in that decision. Right. I think it is deceptively tempting to quote unquote, just say no, because that's safer. But at the end of the day, the, purpose of dating is not eternal celibacy. It's, it's eternal marriage, which is going to include a sexual component. So I think that means within appropriate boundaries and respecting one another, exploring that to the extent that you can prior to marriage, and then also discussing it, especially if you're two uh, previously married people who are sexually experienced uh, you kind of have an idea of what you like, what you're comfortable with, how often you you like to have sex in the rhythm of your relationship. Well, and she also mentioned not to put yourself or other people into a category that is permanent. Right. Because, you know, what, what you may say to a person about previous experience, you know, may or may not represent what's true now or what's going to be in the future. You know, we're all ebbing and flowing in this. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think you can have a situation where somebody maybe was afraid of sex in their first marriage, but did personal development work around that and became much more comfortable with their fact that they're a sexual being and in the next marriage may have much fewer inhibitions. Right. So anything you've done in terms of personal work would be worth discussing in, term, in this, these terms as well. Well, here, here's just one thing. I, I want to be really careful to, to say this. Um, if you have a situation, for example, where one person likes sex three times a week and the other person likes it three times a year or even three times a month, you're probably going to have problems. And 
it's important to just sort of be honest about that. If you know yourself a little bit in that way, uh, that isn't to say that you can't work on it with the other person, but you may not want to sign up. What if there's some wild chemistry there? That might change. <laughs> it might. But I appreciate what she said about that, that it's not concrete. It's not always set in stone. No, and it is a part of people's personality that, that they can develop. But if you know there's going to be a huge difference and a high incompatibility there, then that's definitely something to think about. Yeah, you may want to want to consider whether you want to sign up for that. All right, ready to move on? Yep. Okay. All right. I love this this chapter. Chapter 18 is about the list of qualities you're looking for. And we recommend a short list. Right. A short list that includes the most important things. Because there may be things that are nice to have but not essential. And then if you can get clear on what's essential and have it be sh relatively short, maybe three to five, Right. Uh, things that you're looking for, then you're more likely to find that person, a person that fits those. Right. And I think too, you're, you're often, if you're making, you know, disciplining yourself to have a shorter list, you may be more inclined to put broad categories of things on that list. Uh, part of the reason for doing it this way is I think it's hard to keep 25 different factors in mind. Mm -hmm. Well, um, and you know what I did? It was kind of sneaky. I took my 25 or whatever it was and I I put them all into the subcategories of the four that I created. <laughs> right. But but it helped me get clear about what I was really looking for and all those details within them were flexible, more flexible. Right. Yeah. So if I want someone to be with someone who's very spiritual, that's different from say someone who has high church callings or, you know, there's a variety of. Sure. Yeah. You want to get clear about the, the foundation of what's important. Ways that might be expressed yeah. uh, differently by different people. Well, and for me, I focused on what I wanted to create with a person. So right. for me, it was all about the qualities of their values and what they wanted for the future as well. Right. So. Uh, anyway, so there's lots of things to think about. That's a great chapter. And then uh, 19 is deciding who to date and eventually marry. And we talk about belief systems because believe it or not, people in the church do not all believe the same way. Right. <laughs> belief systems are like those, those values you hold deep and dear that you want someone to believe with you. Or you know, there's preferences and you don't care if someone has other preferences because that makes life interesting. So, you know, you want to consider the belief systems and you want to consider um, flip-flop factors. Uh, I won't get I'll go into that here. I'll just, but flip-flop factors are super helpful in um, figuring out how to view yourself and other people in, you know, the strengths and weaknesses that uh, you observe. Right. Um, anyway, that's, I, I love the, these chapters. And, and then our love story, of course, we've mentioned that it ends with our love story. Part one being rough starts, our beginnings, and part two being 20 seconds of insane courage. Right. Um, as I think about this subject of deciding who to marry, I want you to really ponder about getting beyond red flags. Now, I'm not saying you should ignore uh, 
abusive conduct by someone. But are you looking at something that is in and of itself pretty innocuous, but you think maybe it portends something bad? I think you're on a little shakier ground there. And it does take a certain amount of courage to go to wade into marriage again with all the unknowns that are inherent in it to begin with. And I promise you somewhere between the first date and the time you go to the altar, you're going to visit your worst fears. And that doesn't mean the relationship isn't going to work. Right. And uh, we have plenty of those examples in our own love story. Right. And something I want to point out is that divorce statistics go up with each subsequent marriage. And that itself can cause some, some fear. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And Jeff and I, we believe that it takes intention and purposeful effort to beat the odds. Right. And we wrote this book because we believe that intentional courtship can lead to intentional marriage so that people who choose to be brave and heal from their past and move into dating relationships and ultimately try again, that they will have success. Right. Deciding how you're going to show up for your partner, making agreements with them about that dramatically yeah. will improve your odds. Definitely. And we know we're better spouses for each other than we were in the past for previous partners, not because of who they are, but because of who we've become in evaluating ourselves and how we show up in relationships. Right. Right. Very true. And, you know, we, we want to help you to navigate this maze that we call mid-single dating. It's, it's really important because, I mean, people say, oh, it's just a date, you know, but dates lead to marriage and, and what is there in your life that's more important than that. So, you know, I know a lot of people hate it. They feel a lot of pressure and stress over it. We want to try and help bring some light and goodness to this because ultimately it's about meeting new people, inviting light and goodness into your life and spreading some with others. And ultimately with that one special person, creating a beautiful and eternal relationship. And with that in mind, anything, anytime is the right time for more love in your life. Thanks again for listening to Love in Later Years, and we'll catch you next time. Subscribe to LilyPod to get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, share with those you love. For more information about our organization and services, visit loveinlateryears.com.